Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of King Truth Podcast. This is your host, King Truth, and I'm here with another episode, and it's something that's that's been on my heart that I wanted to, that I've been talking about for a long time with different, you know, family members, friends, uh, coworkers, and that is how we as a community can get what we want as far as the black agenda taken care of by our, our politicians. Um, I say this, this is my thought on this. My thought is that we just look at voting as a way of getting what we want from Washington. And it doesn't work that way. Um, we have to start using our voice and using our strength and our power as a community to start putting these politicians feet to the fire. We have to start demanding certain things to take place for us. Um, we have to, our vote, the black vote straight out point blank. Me personally, this is what I think our vote should be bought. It's for sale. It is for sale to the highest bidder. Now, when I say that it's for sale to the highest bidder, I'm not saying, you know, you just come in with these empty promises and we'll vote for you. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you want our vote and if you want us to vote for you, you have to a have a concrete plan. You have to have a concrete plan in place. That is going to help the black community. You have to have a black agenda. Number two, you have to act on your concrete plan on your black agenda. And if you do not, not only will we be contacting you every day, not only will we be showing up at your job, whether you're in the Senate or whether you're in the White House, we will be showing up demanding for you to do something. And if you do not hold yourself to your own agenda that you're putting, putting into place for us, then I guarantee you, you will only have one term as a politician. We will end your political career. That's how we should look at it. Now I can give you examples on when we do that, when we, have individuals that actually do that, they get what they're demanding. For instance, if you go all the way back to the 1860s, Frederick Douglass was in Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's ear pretty much every day. And the thing that he was advocating for first was the ending of slavery. From the time that Lincoln was elected the first time to the time Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, Frederick Douglass was in his ear about slaves being freed during the Civil War. Free the slaves. The Emancipation Proclamation, even though it didn't really free slaves. And Frederick Douglass knew it didn't free slaves. He still advocated for that. 
So when 1865 came and the 13th Amendment was ratified, that was largely due to the fact of Frederick Douglass beating down Abraham Lincoln's door and advocating for the ending of slavery. Now, after Lincoln was assassinated, Frederick Douglass didn't stop. Frederick Douglass continued with the next president and the president after that. He continued to advocate for things that were monumental to the slave and the ex-slave. So after the Civil War, the ex-slave came out. At that time, up until 1866, the ex-slave wasn't even considered a citizen of the United States of America. Therefore, they couldn't have the rights of the Constitution. Frederick Douglass fought for that. Therefore, we got the 14th Amendment. That says any person born on U.S. soil is declared a U.S. citizen. Now these ex-slaves are citizens. Now they have the full body of the, the Constitution behind them. But Frederick Douglass didn't stop there. Frederick Douglass advocated for the right for ex-slaves to vote. Hence, the 15th Amendment that gave us the right to vote. Now, after he did that, after he was able to make the slave a citizen, he was able to end slavery, and he was able to get us the right to vote, he went on to his next mission because the right to vote was only for men, black men or white men. Well, what he advocated for and when he fought for the women's right to vote, it wasn't necessarily for white women to vote, but it was for black women to vote and getting black women the right to vote would get all women the right to vote. And he fought for that. He fought for that up until the day he died. And when after Frederick Douglass passed away in 1920 or 19, 1919 or 1920, the 19th, the 19th Amendment was passed that gave women the right to vote. That was something else that Frederick Douglass fought for after he got the right for ex-slaves to vote, ex-slave men to vote. To the time that he died, he got women the right to vote. Along with the women's suffrage, everybody looks at the women's suffrage as the group that fought to get their rights to vote. But what they didn't know is Frederick Douglass was working behind the scenes with this group to help get them the right to vote. Now we're going to fast forward forward to the civil rights movement. 1955, the Montgomery bus boycott. During the boycott, Martin Luther King was contacting President Eisenhower. And he was letting Eisenhower know, you need to end segregation on the bus lines. It's got to stop. And if you don't stop it, we'll continue doing what we're doing. Now, why is that important? Even though Eisenhower reluctantly demanded that Alabama ends their uh, ends bus segregation and the South ends bus segregation. It took 360 or 70 some odd days before Eisenhower came to that point because now the bus lines are starting to lose money 
they're not making the money that they were making at first. Now Martin Luther King is hitting him in the pockets. He's hitting these businesses in the pocket. And now they're complaining to the, to their higher ups, who's complaining to their higher ups, who's complaining to the governor, who's complaining to the president, because this is all over the news now. He's putting this pressure, this death grip on Dwight Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower makes his declaration that segregation, that, that segregation has got to end. Martin Luther King did his part by advocating higher up. He, he knew that if he put the pressure on the president of the United States of America, that he could get whatever he wanted for the black community. So the bus boycott happens. The bus lines are desegregated. Now Martin Luther King is moving on to his next fight, which is getting a civil rights bill. What does he do? From 1960 to 1963, he is putting pressure on JFK. He keeps going, keeps going. You need to pass a civil rights bill. That's not in the agenda right now. This needs to be part of the agenda. That's pretty much how the conversation went between Martin Luther King and JFK. I'm kind of guessing right now, but I'm pretty sure that's how it went. So... August of 1963, what happens? You have the March on Washington. That is right down the road from the White House. And you have millions of people that show up for this March on Washington. And what it does is now it puts a spotlight on what Martin Luther King is fighting for, what he's advocating for, and the news is covering it. So, of course... JFK is seeing this. It's in the paper. He's putting pressure on JFK. So now JFK is like, we got to get this guy to calm down. And he's making a noise. He's making a fuss and he's making things harder for us. So JFK decides to start working on a civil rights bill. JFK is assassinated. Three months later, in November, in comes the next president. And Martin Luther King does the same thing. He goes to Lyndon B. Johnson and says, we want a civil rights bill. And if you don't give us a civil rights bill, we're pretty much going to make your life a living you know what. Well, what does Lyndon B. Johnson does? Because he saw the impact because he was president with he was vice president for JFK. So he saw the impact. And the power that Martin Luther King had, he can galvanize a lot of people. And these people are potential voters. So he passes the civil rights bill. And even Lyndon B. Johnson said at the time of signing the civil rights bill that they have just lost the the Democrats have just lost the South for a generation, for a century. Now we move on after the civil rights bill. What's next on the agenda for Dr. King? Voting rights. He goes back to Lyndon B. Johnson. This is after the election of of 1964, because after passing the civil rights bill, Lyndon B. Johnson wins the election in 1964 by a landslide. Dr. King goes back to Lyndon B. Johnson, says, hey, 
we need to get the, we need the right to vote. We have no say so in the political system. We have no say so in the court system because in order to be on the jury, you have to be a registered voter, but we can't register to vote in the South. We need a voting rights bill. And Lyndon B. Johnson is pretty much telling him that that's not in my agenda right now. The plan in my agenda is my war on poverty. That's the next plan. That's the next plan of action. Dr. King was like, no, that don't work for me. We want the right to vote. And you're either going to give it to us willingly or we're going to force you to give it to us. And he chose the latter. Lyndon B. Johnson chose the latter. He continued to argue for his fight, his war on poverty. Hence how Selma happened. So now you got Selma going on. What happens, what happens during the, the Selma protests about voting? You have Bloody Sunday. So now that's all over the news. And that's making LBJ look bad. And LBJ is not a happy camper right now. LBJ, LBJ isn't a happy camper right now. So even though he says that he like Dr. King to continue to lead the movement, Dr. King was starting to be a thorn in LBJ's side. Then Dr. King decided to take it a level up. We're going to march from Selma all the way to Montgomery. And after that march, Lyndon B. Johnson passed the voting rights bill of 1965. So when it comes to President Obama, and Dr. Umar Johnson, who I respect, I love watching his videos. I've never seen him in person, but I love watching his videos. Dr. Umar Johnson says President Obama did not do enough for the black community. And I agree with that. But at the same time, when did we ever put President Obama's feet to the fire? When did we go to President Obama? A leader and he and that leader has the community behind him. Go to President Obama and say, you're either going to give us this willingly or we're going to make you give us this or you just won't be reelected. That never happened. That never happened. Dr. Umar didn't go up to the White House and demand these things. Dr. Cornell West didn't go up to the White House and demand these things. Al Sharpton went to the White House, but you can tell that he didn't demand these things. So you expect just because we voted him in, he's the first black president. He got 95% of the black vote that he was actually going to put us as a top priority. Remember, he is the president of the whole United States and he's walking on eggshells because he is the first black man in this job and he's got to keep white people happy. But we never we voted for him. We put him in the White House and we just figured, hey, we ain't got to do anything else. He we got a black man in office. He's going to take care of us. That's the problem with a lot of. States that have black governors, cities that have black mayors, majority black uh, congresses. We we elect these people in 
And we just assume because they're black that they're going to do something about the black community. No, they are beholden to other people. We have to go and do and demand what we want. Why do you think there are lobbyists all over Washington, D.C.? Because they're going up there and they're demanding certain things to be put in certain bills to help their interests. Now, Dr. Umar said that the LBGTQ community got more rights under Obama than the black community, which is true. But why did they get those rights? They got the rights the same way we got the rights in the 60s and slavery ended in uh, after the Civil War. And we got the right to vote after the Civil War. The LBGTQ community went to President Obama and they demanded that he do something about their community. And if he didn't do anything about their community, they were pretty much guaranteeing he was going to be a one term president because they would pretty much work against him in his reelection. Seeing that this is a large voter block, just like we're a large voting voting block, President Obama enacted different laws and protections for the LBGTQ community. The women, the the women move the women's movement during the time of President Obama, one of the biggest staples in the women's movement was equal pay, equal work for equal pay, that bill. Well, how did they get it? The same way we got the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the end of slavery, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, they went to the president and said, you're either going to give us this willingly or we're going to force your hand and you're going to give it to us anyway, or you will be a one-term president. Looking at this as a large voting block that was for him, he gave them the Equal Pay, the Equal Work for Equal Pay Act and other acts and other bills that helped the women's movement. When did we ever go to the president, to President Obama and say, this is what we want. We want real fair housing, uh, a real fair housing act. One that is not going to be, uh, is going to be equal across the board, but we're actually going to get a piece of the pie. Uh, real legislation to where we're getting the same amount of small business loans as white people get. When did we ever go to President Obama and advocate for these things and tell him you're either going to give it to us willingly or we're going to force your hand or you will be a one term president? Remember, we voted for him 95 percent. So if he loses that 95 percent voting block and they go somewhere else, who knows? Mitt Romney could have been our president in 2012. But we don't just put it on the Democrat. We put the same pressure on a Republican in the White House or a Republican running for White House. So with this president in the White House, what's the one thing that he wants to brag about? How he has bigger numbers. He brags about how he had more black people vote for him than they did for Mitt Romney. 
which was only by like two or three percent. But if we go to him today and say, this is what we want for the black community, you either give it to us or you either give it to us willingly or we're going to force your hand to give it to us. And if you don't give it to us, you will not be a two term president. Your your time as president will be four years long and we'll find somebody else who's going to come in and do what we want. And that goes for black liberals and black conservatives. We have to work together as a group because we are a group. So instead of saying that this president is not doing anything for the black community, this president doesn't have a black agenda. This candidate doesn't have a black agenda. Instead of just going to the polls and voting, which is which is what we should do because we are a large voting block. Instead of just going to the going to the polls and voting, we need to take that vote and turn it into a voice and turn it into a movement. We need to lobby these politicians just as hard as these big corporations lobby these these politicians. And let them know that if you're going, if you want our vote, you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to give up something. You're going to have to give us something. And I don't mean no empty promise either. I mean, you're actually going to do a real bill, an act or an amendment that is going to benefit us as a community, not anybody else. Us as a community. That's what we should be demanding of our politicians and our candidates who are running for these offices. We just can't go in with blind trust. Yes, with Obama, we had hope. We hoped that Obama would do something for the community, for the community. That's like walking on faith. It's either going to work out for you or it's not. And it didn't work out for us. We need to stop hoping. And we need to start doing. That's what we need to do. Malcolm X said freedom isn't free. And he's right about that. And somebody's got to pay for our freedom. And we need to make these politicians pay and ante up for our vote. We need to stop blindly voting just because I like Bernie Sanders. He seems like a pretty cool dude. No, 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 no. We need to put Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Chris, uh, Christine Gillibrand, Joe Biden, whoever is running for pre- Donald Trump, whoever is running for president or is president, we need to put their feet to the black fire. And trust me, our fire burns. You will get burned if you scorn us. That's what we need to do. That should be our approach to the elections. That should be our approach to any candidate that is considering running for president. And until we do that, until we get back to the way that we did things after slavery up until the assassination of Martin Luther King, until we get back to that, we'll never get what we want. Because if you notice, 
after Martin Luther King was assassinated, was there ever another bill or uh, another bill that was written specifically for us to get some kind of equal right or anything that benefited our community since Martin Luther King was assassinated. I can't think of one. Well, I can't think of one 1970 fair housing act because it ended the discriminatory practices. Well, so we were supposed to end the discriminatory practices of the first fair housing act from the new deal. But that's the only one I could think of. And that was passed under Richard Nixon going off of what Martin Luther King was advocating before he was assassinated, which was fair housing. But after that, I don't see one bill that benefited us. Not one. A bill that pretty much was designed for us by us. Now you have Cory Booker and Tim Scott working on a criminal justice reform bill. That's the next one, but it that they passed one in January, but that was just like a little that was the appetizer. The one that they're working on now is the entree. This is the bigger one. But this is 2019. The Fair Housing Act was in 1970. So you're looking at almost what? 50 years. So we got to start pushing these politicians to work for us. We have to start selling our vote and the politician and, and, and we're not selling our vote for cheap. It's not being sold for cheap. You're going to have to pay up. You're going to have to ante up in order to get our vote. That's why I don't vote. Demo- I don't consider myself a Democrat. And I don't consider myself a Republican. I don't even consider myself an independent. I am a black man in the black community who is wanting to see this community thrive. So in order for you to get my vote, whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat, in order for you to get my vote, I'm expecting you to do what you said you would do for the black community. I'm expecting you again. My vote is for sale. So it's not going to be cheap. If you say I'm going to work on lowering or ending the black unemployment rate and encouraging businesses to hire more black people to lower that rate, because if you don't know, The black unemployment rate has never been under 6%, yet the white unemployment rate is hovering right around 4%. It's it's not equal. So until, like, if a politician came to me and said that they were going to do those things, okay, I want to see your plan on how you're going to do it. Bam, they show me the plan. Okay, I'm holding you to this. Best believe you're going to be hearing from me. You will hear from me. And if you don't get this done, because if you're a president, you got four years, bro. So if you can't get it done in four years, what makes you think I'm going to give you four more? Nah, I'm going to find somebody else. If you're a senator or a congressperson, if you're a congressperson, you got two years. 
If you're a senator, you got six. What makes you think I'm going to give you another term if you couldn't fulfill your promise, fulfill your obligation in the first term? No, it don't work like that. I'll find somebody else to do the job that I'm expecting them to do for me. That's how we that's how we fix Washington for us. We have to start demanding things. We have to start putting these politicians feet to the fire. And once we start doing that and these politicians notice that we are for real, like we ain't playing. I guarantee you they will change their whole tone and we'll start get, we'll start seeing legislation that is passed that benefits us. So that does it for this episode. Um, I want to thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you're on iTunes or Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to, subscribe. Also, leave an honest review. Rate it and review it, the podcast or uh, and the episodes. And let me know what um, let me know what you think. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram at King Truth Podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Durrell, D-U-R-E-L-L, Fain, F-A-I-N, F as in Frank. And also, here's my email address. If you have a topic that you want me to touch on, that you want me to talk about, or if you have any questions on any of the other episodes that I've done, uh, you can reach me at Durrell, D-U-R-E-L-L, period. Fane, F as in Frank, A-I-N, 55 at gmail.com. And yeah, just send me an email if there's a topic you want me to talk about. If you have any questions about uh, any of the other episodes, uh, if you want me to give a shout out to your business, uh, if you want to sponsor the the podcast. Also, if you just, you know, want to get to know me, uh, feel free to email me. But yeah, can't wait to talk to you next time. Um, Y'all be safe. I'm out. Peace.